the great Tim Brando. <laughs> it's actually Shreveport, but you just love saying Baton Rouge. Yes, I, I do. Love saying that. Yes, I do. Yes, that's I... okay. Man, I am. Uh, I'm just glad to see you're working again. Everything's good, huh? Everybody's right. getting laid right. off, and I get a job. I must be essential, Tim. <laughs> Somebody must have determined that of all, other than the WWE, I'm the only other essential thing that needs to be on the air right now. No, listen, I track this on my social media, Tony. It was right after I tweeted about Bino, after a George Lucas is writing a book on Bino, uh, after a tweet from him, I mentioned you being uh, at a dinner with Corso, Bino, and me at Pagliacci's off 84 in Plainville, Connecticut. Yep. And boom, you're on Sirius again. Unbelievable. Exactly. No, there's Absolutely no doubt your influence is strong. <laughs> the force is strong from the Chateau in Shreveport, Louisiana. And so, so you can't play golf. You can't. Uh, now, are the golf course is open down there? Because I know, you know, New Orleans you know, got course, hammered. Our, our, yeah, our course is open. The municipal courses are not because we do have a pretty good per capita. Shreveport's the third largest city in the state, not nearly as big as either Baton Rouge or, or New Orleans. Yeah. Um, but we have a significant number of cases because we, like them, have our um, Mardi Gras parades as well. I mean, it's a big deal throughout the state, whether in North or South Louisiana, and uh, our our hospitals are, are packed in, and it's, a, it, it, it's, it's bad. I mean, it's not good. So, um, but, but our course where I live is, is open, but there's very little play, mm-hmm. uh, especially during the week, very little play. And I've gone out and walked the golf course some, I could play, and I think I might just go out by myself and hit a couple of balls maybe later on this week. But most of the guys that would be in my group are either my age or older. I'm, I'm like the youngest guy in my group, and I'm 64. So, you know, I don't know that they're necessarily going to know what six feet is. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, what my six feet or my eight feet, five feet or four, I really don't know. Their eyesight's about as good, you know? Yeah, I play with guys where they hit the ball and they go... Did you see it? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, you, so you mean to tell so you me? You've got to be careful when you're with those guys when you're playing senior golf. Right. You know? So you mean but, to tell uh, me that the neighbors that have, that uh, you know backyards abut the golf course aren't out there filming you like they were at my club two weeks ago <laughs> and putting it on Facebook, and all of a sudden there's a big Facebook group chat of people wanting to shut down the golf course, which was already shut down. We were just walking by ourselves on it anyway. They called the yeah. news chopper who flew overhead oh, and took video. It's on the TV. No way. I swear to God, that's what happened. Yeah. And then the cops tell come those in. people. Tell those people to go back and, and find some replays of all my children when they actually had soap operas. Wow. Can you believe what's happening yeah. out there? It's ridiculous, yeah. Tim. I didn't even realize yeah, you were is. a left-handed golfer. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm, I, was a, I was a lefty baseball player, pitcher, first baseman, where all slow white lefties should play. Mm-hmm. Um, my, um, my bio read like this back in 1973, Tony. It was slow white lefty with occasional power, can go deep, Occasionally, but we'll never get a leg hit. That's what uh, that's what my media bio said at Fair Park in 1973. Yeah, I uh, I'm a lefty, and now you know it's great because more left-handers play because you actually have the equipment. When we were kids, when we were in high school, you couldn't find a left-handed iron anywhere. They they didn't exist. So I didn't start playing golf until my knees got skinned up. And I was playing in the Hartford Morning Softball League with the ESPN Bombers back in the day. And uh, John Saunders found 
he saw these these horrible the, the late great John Saunders sees yeah. my knees and he's like, "What are these? What are you doing?" I said, "Well, I'm playing fast pitch size. You're 31 years old, for God's sake. You need to play golf." So it's a wonderful country in so many ways. White Southern Republican learns how to play golf in Connecticut from Black Canuck. Exactly know? right. Uh, An interesting thing, you know what? Merrill Reese, the voice of the Eagles, was a great tennis player. And then he uh-huh. had knee and back problems, and he took up golf and is now a really good golfer, too. You know, people are funny. They're on the Twitch stream saying, this is your daily, are the golf courses open update? That's right. It seems like every day we talked to, whether it was Jim Nance last week or uh, Rich, Rich, Lerner. Rich Lerner from yeah. the Golf Channel yesterday. Yeah. Everybody see, listen, I haven't played golf, I don't know, in seven years. So I'm not exactly a guy who's, like, chomping at the bit. I love to go out and hit it around. Well, me and my wife are pissed. Yeah, I mean, a lot (laughs) of people are pissed off. Listen, if I don't play golf again ever, my life is not going to change. But I like to go out there and say, where did it go? Did you see it? Every once in a while, too. We all do. You know, by by now, I would have played played at least three rounds, sometimes four a week. I would have already been in at least one pro-am, and the Byron Nelson pro-am would be coming up, which is where I almost had my all-in-one. Like, the greatest moment I've ever had in golf was the Dallas National. And, and, oh, by the way, it was a camera hole, Tony. And you know how you know how guys like me are when we see a red light. It's like, <laughs> oh, my God, it's time to make it happen, you know. <laughs> I rattled the stick. They got, and the camera, they had a camera at the tee that would, would video it. And, and, and literally, I hit the flag stick. And these guys behind me are jumping up and down. Looks like I actually got the hole-in-one. I didn't. It, it bounced off about two feet, and I tapped it in for, for my bird. But, I mean, I'm jonesing for golf. I mean, that, this is my therapy, and I haven't had um, any of it, and, and that's been the tough part. Now, the good news for me is I've got these grandbabies that I can FaceTime with. I've got a, a three-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter in Mississippi, and I've got a two-and-a-half-year-old grandson named after Spencer Tillman, by the way. First name is Spencer. Beautiful. And then uh, little Amelia is three months old. And so I'm FaceTiming with them. And that's the other reason, another reason why I haven't played is because I think my daughters are like, Dad, you go out with those grungy old people. I don't want you anywhere near my kid. You know, so stay away from the golf course um, until such time as we know it's safe. So. Speaking of Spencer Tillman, he tweeted this morning. By the way, he's not following me, which is an outrage. Oh, but I, I, I gave him love I'll back. Fix he, I'll no, fix he, that. He, uh, he tweeted out about Houston Methodist down there mm-hmm. is one of the hospitals that has a, one of the testing things that's just been approved. And so we're seeing all of these great medical facilities coming up. And Houston Methodist is one of the first in the country, I believe. And he, he tweeted he sits about on the board. He sits on the board of Houston Methodist. Wow! No, it was, it was great news from down there at Houston yeah. Methodist on the on again one of the coronavirus yeah. uh, treat not treatments but certainly testing methods that are being discovered every single day and so many companies mm-hmm. now coming up with this stuff which is great. Yeah, so much out there. I don't know about you, but, but I, mean, I do find myself at home watching probably way too much cable news, and and I watch some of it during the day, and then I just grow so tired of it. And it's that kind of news, all right, Tony, that's not out there, that yep. they're not covering. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to know where the form of treatment is right now and what is working best, and none of them are telling me. I'm getting the same rhetoric uh, every day. Now, 
I can't watch cable news at night because all that's opinion-based, and I don't care whether you're on the left or the right. I can't stomach any of it anymore. Me I mean, neither. I, I don't even have it on. I literally don't turn it on at all during the, even the even the 5 o'clock updates. I just get the crib notes later on at night. Yeah, I just go see what happened the, today, uh, and then I see right. that uh, this is that, and Trump's yelling at this person, and that CBS, right. all that other stuff. Right. You're right. There's too much noise. But we got to get to sports because college football okay. is your Bailey. Yep. Is that, was that your Bailiwick, would Bailey you say? Wick, yeah. Is that your Bailiwick right now, Tim? You say that one more time, I'm going to get excited. Um, <laughs> His bell cow. Underused word, bailiwick. <laughs> bell cow. Who about it? Oh, God, I want it. That's not bell cow. College football is, in fact, Timmy B's bell cow of all sports. No question about it. And there's uh, Major Ogilvy's back deep at the five-yard line. Here's the kick from Hamp Green. He's got it at the 10, the 20, the 30. He crosses field, the 40, against the green, the picket fence at midfield, the 40, the 30. He's inside the 20 and clipped and hit and fumble. That is great. Major Ogilvy, Alabama Crimson Tide, mid-70s oh, knowledge right there. That's you late no 70s. Idea. He says, remember, don't forget the third Saturday of October, the boys become men. General Robert Dillon said that many years ago. And once we become men, keep them away from your daughter. Okay. <laughs> now, people are checking in, and they're saying, ask him about announcing the Easton versus Pittsburgh game on ESPN back oh, in 89. Wow. Yeah. yeah, that was a cable high school football game. Guess what? The uh, and I can't remember which team, but the head cheerleader I think for Phillipsburg was dating the backup quarterback who was a safety who had to come in and quarterback because the starter got hurt late in the game. And you're watching, we're taking tight shots of this cheerleader that's cheering for her team, but at the same time really happy when the backup quarterback is throwing the touchdown pass to win the game. It was really fun. You have that on tape because you know when ESPN started, people didn't realize it. Rasmussen wanted to be a regional Connecticut area television network, well, not a national phenomenon, was, uh, right? That was a great Mike Oresco idea, now the commissioner of the American Athletic Conference. Um, and he's done such a marvelous job since uh, the, the, the Big East thing. They had to reform it, and uh, he was in charge of programming for college back then. And I, I later worked with him at CBS, too. He made that wonderful deal for CBS that is finally going to go away when, uh, yeah, I guess, ESPN takes it over in a few years. But that $55 million deal for what is the number one rated college football game every week that I was a part of for 16 years, the SEC on CBS. Anyway, he, his idea was, let's put, a, let's put a high school football game on while the parades are on the networks. You know, So let's do it at like 10 o'clock in the morning. And I'll never forget, I woke up the morning, and I'm not sure if it was the Easton paper or the Phillipsburg paper. Ned Bolkar was at Notre Dame at that time, and he's a Phillipsburg kid. And I'll never forget that when I ran into him covering Notre Dame, he was on that national championship team. He was so pumped up because, you know, Phillipsburg uh, was, was playing against Easton. But I'll never forget, I opened up the paper uh, the day of the game, and it said, the game, the nation, the cable. <laughs> <laughs> the Easton Red Rovers. That's great, Easton yeah. Red. Oh, you know, another yeah. thing, we were talking with uh, the, the great uh, – Lisa Ann from Easton, along with Larry Holmes and yeah. Crayola and a lot of Easton right. talk the other day. Yeah. But you spent time up there in Easton at Phillipsburg. Everybody knows, you know, you're... Lee Corso and I. Lee Corso and I did that game, believe it or not. Wow, that's that is awesome, awesome yeah. sauce. But no, no, yeah. I'll never forget those fun nights on Friday nights at Pagliacci's. Keith Olbermann, Bino Cook. Oh, man. Lee, Lee Corso, who looks exactly the same as he did back in 1992. <laughs> still he, he out really there, does. still cranking it every Saturday, man. He's unbelievable. Yeah, and by the way, and by the way, 
I don't care if they have to have a crane to bring his ass out there to put that mascot head on. They should still do it. Okay? That's like, to me, he should do that until the day he dies. As long as he wants to do it, that's the best five minutes of sports television every week in the fall. I mean, it is. It is Absolutely great. Absolutely. It is great. And Bino, the greatest oh, times with Bino. Brad Dog does a very, very best. Unless, of course, you're all with Bruno, and he's the very, very, very best. <laughs> I had the greatest relationship with Bino Cook, who I met through ESPN, and he was the athletic director. He was the was the sports information director at yeah, Pitt, sports information Pitt, director. For, yeah. Pitt for many, yeah. many years, and then ESPN hired him. One of the absolute greatest human beings you will ever, ever know, and oh, it was yeah. an honor oh, to work way, with him. Uh, the, 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 he used to go after gammons and those baseball hacks in our newsroom all the time. <laughs> <laughs> he, he would come in and say, hey, hey, Gammon, are you going to do another seven-minute soliloquy on collusion? For crying out loud, you've done more minutes on collusion than I have chins on my body. <laughs> <laughs> we used to do... We used to do an over-under count each week on the number of Vino's chins. It was a bet inside the studio. Um, wow. he, he was the best. We all loved Vino. Yes, we and, did. Um, those, were, those were great times. They're never to be duplicated, Tony. We'll never have those kinds of times because they're, they're, they're gone. I mean, it was so much simpler and so much more enjoyable, and yet, of course, helped set the template for what would later be known as political correctness. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Bino Cook right now doing a Saturday night appearance oh. with me talking about college football. I would have yeah. to have, they'd have to have a dump button in the studio. That's must-listen-to yeah. radio. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you're unbelievable. I you were about to get to, you were about to get to something really fun about football, and you mentioned Bailiwick, and we went in a completely different direction. All right, so college football, here's the biggest question, Tim, because, you know, now yeah. we're hearing from some people, oh, we're not, we can't have sports now until we have a vaccine, and that could be 18 months away. I don't know if that's the case. That's what we're hearing for going from one extreme to the other. Your thoughts, yeah. what do you think is going to happen? Because the biggest question is, you know, college football, the student athletes go back and start practicing before the rest of the students go back, who, by the way, haven't yeah. gone back and neither have the student athletes. Right. Well, I don't think, number one, that the players uh, necessarily have to have students back for them to be back, because you're right. They always report early. So they're going to have to be able to report, though, within 40 days of the season starting. I think the critical time period will be June 1. All right. If we have movement towards players being able to report, especially freshmen, uh, being able to report by, say, the second week of June, then I think we're okay. As it relates to the student body, I, I think this will be a president's decision ultimately, and if schools do not open, I don't know from a political point of view whether they'll be in a position to have the optics of games being played without schools being in session. I think that's a very real circumstance that, that has to be investigated. But what's going on out there now? What you're seeing discussed on a daily basis, and listen, uh, guys that are high profile in my profession, uh, if they feel it necessary to say, well, I believe this or I believe that, okay, if that's what you believe your brand is, then go for it. But I, for one, uh, I will make observations and or predictions based on, hopefully, four decades of knowledge about college football, all right? I have no decades of knowledge about medicine, okay? I'm not, a, I'm not a doctor. I never played one on TV. 
And anytime the science fair was going on, I was probably on a speech and debate trip somewhere. Okay, I, I want no part of that. So I'm not in a position to say whether we will or we won't. But I will tell you, because I do talk to the people that matter in intercollegiate athletics, I'm very, very uh, excited about the fact that the decision makers, the athletic directors, and the conference commissioners are having conference calls on a daily basis. And they are going through all the different parameters of what they face with the calendar coming up. And right now, a decision does not have to be made. So there's no reason for us in the media to be going gonzo over trying to be first with, see, I told you, we're not going to, and see, I told you, if we play, we're going to have to play in February. Or see, I told you, we won't have any non-conference games. We'll only play our conference games. Because none of that has been, none of that's been decided. Okay, and it's not our business to decide. We just need to remain vigilant, vigilant, and tolerant, and then wait and see what the virus decides to do and what the scientists decide to do. This notion that we have to have a vaccine is garbage, absolute garbage. That's a year to 18 months away, and I think we all know that. But, you know, I, I know not only because of what guys like Spencer are tweeting out, that those that are in a position to to go about the business of science are working on not just a, a potential vaccine, but a form of treatment. Mm-hmm. A convincing form of treatment has to be there for an athlete that would test. First of all, all of them have to be tested. Every player, every yep. student athlete has to be tested. And if that player tests uh, positively, then he needs to know what the form of treatment will be, and the coaches need to know what that form will be over, say, a two-week period so that the kid can get back, all right? And once they know what that treatment is, then I think we're good to go, and the, po- the possibility is there for us to play. Now, the potential of us sliding the season back, say, on the calendar a month, I think that's a legitimate conversation piece. If we get to that point, we're not there just yet, but I mean, you could conceivably move the, the season back a month and, and really not mess anything up. This notion, though, that, well, the group of five, if, we, if they don't play the non-conference games, that's okay. Wait a minute. If you don't have the group of five schools in business, and because of the economics of the circumstances that we face now, they, they no longer exist, then the big kahunas aren't going to have enough teams to play for us to have a 13, 14-week season. So those teams have to be protected. If, say, uh, ULM, where I, where I went to school, Northeast Louisiana now, University of Louisiana Monroe, if they don't get to play their three non-conference games, Tony, they lose a third of their operating annual budget. Right. They absolutely need to play. And those schools provide a service for the bigger schools so they can have a 13-game schedule. Without them, they're not going to have that. So everyone needs to be involved, and I think they are involved. The Power Five commissioners know that the group of five commissioners, led by Aresco, Craig Thompson out at the Mountain West, and, and several others, obviously the MAC uh, and the Sun Belt Conference and Conference USA, they have to be in on this as well. There are ten conferences in college football that all have to be in on the mix, and I think those contingency plans are being discussed daily. And um, listen, I, I understand through some prisms where a former player is concerned about maybe his kids that are playing Division One football. I think that's where Herb Street was coming from 
when he made the statement he was making. And I understand that. I like Kirk, and I, I get that. But for us to now just start making these blanket statements about, well, we can't do this and we can't. Wait, who gave you the right to say that you have uh, a position and a platform to suggest that this is the way it has to be? None of us do. None of us really know. Let's just wait, let the scientists do their job, and let those that are in governance, the commissioners and the athletic directors and the presidents of the universities, uh, meet together and come uh, with, with, with something solid for us by the end of May, 1st of June. And then we can go from there. Anything else is just pure rhetoric. Hey, Tim, few things rival the home environment for these college football games, especially with the big conferences. Could you foresee the season going on without fans in the stands? I think the potential of, of, of uh, reduced numbers of fans being allowed to the games is one of the, one of the items that will be suggested as we move forward, if, in fact, we're sitting in the same place with the pandemic that we're in now. Let's say if nothing really changes from where we are today to where we are this time next month, then I think discussions about uh, fan participation or lack thereof will be out there. Uh, Now, remember this, though, and this is very important as it relates to college football versus the NFL. The NFL can operate with very few fans because it's it's basically a league that's finances are based solely on the incredible enormous amounts of money that they make from their television rights all right almost 80 percent 80 85 percent college football is a little more of a 50 50 set of circumstances the monies coming into the big 10 and the sec are certainly much larger than you see in the pac-12 by example it's larger but not as larger uh, in the SEC and the in the Big Ten than, say, the Big 12 and the ACC, it's significantly larger than the Pac-12. The gate really is important to the schools. That's why you see so many schools in the power conferences. That's why the NCAA let their presidents adopt the extra games, because they wanted an additional home game to get the revenue. Uh, the revenue from uh, a game at the Big House or any other stadium, it's 80000 or above, is huge for these schools, and losing that is is major. I mean, it's it's an economic impact of say forty to forty five percent of the take in for that college football program at these major schools. So they're going to have to think long and hard before they they turn that away. Now, remember, that doesn't mean the fans show up, but the season ticket allocations are so great and the money so big that that's something I don't think they'll they're going to go and say, well, we can do without that. I think college football uh, governors uh, and, and those that are in positions of power believe that they need to hold on to their fans as best they can. But is it still worth the, the, the season going on if, in fact, fans are either reduced access and uh, the television networks can still carry the games? Yeah, I believe you could do that and, and certainly lose less money. And uh, for the television networks, have um, arguably larger ratings as a result of fewer people getting to come to the game. So that's a very good question and one that is on the table, much more so, I think, in college than it ever would be with the NFL. Demi, always great to break down the college game with you without being no cook around anymore. You are my go-to guy when it comes to college pigskin, my friend. Well, Tony, I am so excited that you are back. 
um, because we missed you. Uh, I haven't I haven't been able to hear you for a while, and knowing that you're back is uh, is vital because we need to have this kind of fun and energy and enthusiasm. Um, we, we all take our craft, I think, seriously, but we sh- we shouldn't take ourselves too seriously, and that's what I've always loved about you. Well, thank you, Tim. You've been uh, Hi, great for me for a long, long time. Tim Brando, everybody at Fox Sports, talking college football.